oh my god yesterday I know I'm talking it's again and it's food related we went to um <laughs> park and we took like a little picnic blanket and we brought some fake desperados you can get fake desperados <laughs> from Aldi they do like it they're called like sombreros <laughs> instead of desperados I, we took the fake Desperados beers down to the park and we had a little uh, picnic with like <laughs> so extra we cooked ribs in the oven and then we walked really fast to the park so that they would still be hot <laughs> really fast and then we got to the park and I was really sweaty because it was really sunny and then we were eating the ribs and we were like so worth it so worth it <laughs> the ribs were hot and we're hot and it was just like oh god <laughs> And then we had the the cool sombrero beer to cool us down because we kept them in the fridge. So everything was just like optimal. Like we're very (laughs) particular about our eating. (laughs) Warning, me time and murder is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. (laughs) Oh, for God's sake, here we go. Dancing around him, reciting poetry. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Oh my god! That's crazy. No. Why? <laughs> oh well, big surprise. Oh god. <laughs> Dead on the bathroom floor. <gasps> Did it? It's okay. Oh. <laughs> it's your. It's oh, your really? episode. Okay. 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 So, Miriam, what are you drinking today? I had a really good yoga today. So, like afterwards, I was shopping, and I was like, I am. The ultimate yogi. So I'm going to buy yogi tea. Oh. Not cheap. What makes it yogi tea? Is that just the It says yogi on it. Okay, well, I'm going to believe that then. <laughs> There's some like old yogi Indian guy on the side of it. Legit. It's definitely legit. <laughs> he put yeah. his face on it. It is the detox cup. Healthy cleansing formula with a little asterisk star. Hmm. And the asterisk star. scary sometimes. <laughs> These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Who would think it does? And it's nice. Yeah. That was a nice slurp you had there. (laughs) (laughs) Can you hear mine? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. And then you have to do the... I got another Pukka, Pukka Supreme Matcha Green, a vital wellspring of organic whole leaf green tea and the finest matcha. And on the back, it says, good news for replenishing your magical powers. Oh, (laughs) FDA approved. (laughs) That uh, claim is not substantiated. There's no asterisks. They just put it out there (laughs) and yeah, take it how you will. And what are you? Uh, putting on your face or hair on my face the sephora cucumber eye mask enriched with cucumber extract of natural origin these masks immediately soothe the delicate eye contour for a relaxed fresh and wide awake look oh i need that what have you got on your face dress i'm actually putting it on my hair today Uh, yeah so i just felt like with covid and kind of i've been using very basic shampoos like i'm not using my most expensive shampoos because like the world can't see my hair so, so 
mm-hmm. my hair has not been loving me for it. So I'm going to give it a little bit of love with a Garnier Ultimate Blends moisturizing hair food aloe vera and coconut there's lots of different versions of this i think there's like a banana one that i'm going to use next time but for now i've got the the coconut and aloe vera so i have a case for you today i think you know what it is yes you you, you were giving me hints slowly Mm -hmm. like cork yes you had to subscribe to audible to get it and i didn't have audible like i have i have spotify and i was like no it is a good podcast and I think like if this intrigues you and you want to find out more you know I would listen to the audible podcast so it's called mm-hmm. West Cork this is where I got a lot of this information from mm-hmm. and then different parts of the timeline I got from news articles online but yeah the podcast goes really in depth this case has been unsolved in Ireland for over 20 years or what? unproven as the people of the area like to say mm-hmm. clever Un- it's not unsolved it's just unproven Okay. So basically, like, they all think they know who did it kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, The case has had an update as of this year, Mm -hmm. uh, which is why I wanted to cover it. Um, Mm -hmm. But the coronavirus has unfortunately affected the case, and we'll get to that at Mm -hmm. the end. So, yeah, so we'll get into it. So it takes place in West Cork. Mm -hmm. It's a county on the edge of the island of Ireland with a very wild and rugged terrain. Um, It's also where my boyfriend is from, which is why I was really interested in doing the case. Mm. Um, the people who live in West Cork are just all really lovely. It's just a very quaint and friendly place. So the thought of a brutal murder happening here, it was just really bizarre to me. So I just mm-hmm. really wanted to know more. And in West Cork, the case is simply known as the murder because mm. people down there can't remember any other incident happening this horrific, you know, or they, they can't think of another murder, basically. And so this is a story of... Sophie Tuscon de Plantier, uh, she was a French TV producer and wife of famous film producer Daniel Tuscon de Plantier. In the winter of 1996, Sophie took a pre-Christmas trip alone to stay in the family holiday home in Termur, West Cork. Mm. They had purchased the house in 1992 and had regular weekend breaks and summer holidays there. So, like, they really loved it. They had a great time there. This particular Christmas, just a few days before Christmas, she decided to take a trip alone. Mm -hmm. Um, People kind of wondered why, you know, she would do this. Why would she go on her own? A little bit odd. There was rumours that maybe her marriage wasn't good. However, I've also heard that... like she just really loved West Cork and apparently just wanted to go there before all the hustle and bustle of Christmas Mm. Um, but apparently the next day she was supposed to be meeting up with her husband Mm -hmm. for a trip to Spain or something like that like she was doing this part of the trip and then they were going to meet up and go on another part of the trip and like they could have been jet setters you know like tv producers they could have you know met up in different countries this could have been a regular thing for them but I think just the initial reaction is mm, a little bit weird. But they really loved West, their West Cork called Haldi Home. And Sophie and her family were not alone in this. Um, a once isolated West Cork saw a major increase in what the locals called blow-ins. So this is around the time of the 90s. So blow-ins were foreigners who moved in and bought property either for permanent residence or holiday homes. And this sort of changed the dynamic in the area. Like this is a really rural, um, isolated area, you know, and this Mm. sort of 
this new mixing together of people, it did yeah. actually affect the case. And we'll kind of get to that a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. So on the 23rd of December, so this is how close it is to Christmas, uh, during Sophie's stay, she is found beaten to death at the foot of the laneway leading to the holiday home. Um, oh. Yeah, so it was a bit of a hilly area. So she's down at the bottom of the hill. Uh, West Cork is very hilly. Mm-hmm. So it was apparent that she had tried to flee from her assailant, but her cardigan got caught on a wire fence. <gasps> I know, like she nearly got away. And she was then bludgeoned to death with a concrete block. Like, it's block. horrific. Yeah, Miriam, you should see the block. It's like a building brick. I think it's like 17 centimeters, but it's also really deep as well. So, yeah, it was, oh, yeah, I was going to do some damage. Like, um, I think her brain was messed up from it, you know, she like lacerations to the skull and the brain. If anyone got hit with this, yeah, we'll, we'll get the pictures up on Instagram. You can see the lane leading up to the house. It's quite hilly, so she was at the mm-hmm. bottom of that. So police in the area seemed very ill-equipped to handle the murder. So, you know, it didn't really happen. It's a lo- yeah. local country. Everyone's, you know, friends and or related or, you know, this just doesn't happen. So it took such a long time for authorities to arrive on scene that the body lay there in the cold for nearly a whole day. And the scene Aww. was not very well preserved yeah and it's december so she probably like froze almost you know so yeah just officials i think some officials had to come in from cork city which is uh by an hour drive away and even just you know like alerting them to come and you know it just took and even just finding the scene like it was really hard to find okay um and this is the interesting part because someone who did arrive very promptly and suspiciously mm-hmm. onto the scene was journalist Ian Bailey. So he arrived really early. Oh. Um, so he, this journalist, he heard in the village that a French lady at the village, I'm not sure if it's a village or a town, but it's called Skull. Oh. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> but okay. it's, it's spelled <laughs> S, I know, S-C-H-U-L-L, I think. It's Skull. And he heard that a French lady had been murdered and he took off in his car to get to the scene to cover the story. Uh He made it to the scene in approximately 15 to 20 minutes from where he took off, leaving very little time for errors or wrong turns along the way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is astonishing given the fact that he drove only under a hunch. Locals, however, have attested that it was very difficult to find Sophie's home. Like you would need to know where you're going like you can imagine the kind of narrow country roads they don't even show up on maps some of these roads aren't even on the maps like it's really rural Mm -hmm. but him arriving on the scene like within 15 to 20 minutes of hearing about it is Mm -hmm. uber suspicious Mm -hmm. like on the dot you know um so it was like he knew where he was going yeah like how did he get there so fast yeah it's like he knew where it was so he was also able to get very close to the scene. It's been said that he took pictures of the scene, but I'm not sure if this information is correct. Mm-hmm. Bailey walked away from the scene and apparently looked back repeatedly in a very suspicious fashion at the guards. And the guards were sort of eyeballing him. Yeah. And it was like, you know, who's more paranoid, the guards or him? It was this sort of face off of like, why are you here sniffing around? But he's yeah. a journalist, you know, so... He yeah. feels like he has a right to be there, but then he's just acting shifting, like looking back over his shoulder. 
So this is perhaps the first instance that put Bailey on the guard's radar. But Bailey would get up to a lot more fishy business in the days and months to come, which would result in him becoming the guard's number one suspect. And my apologies, when I say guards in Ireland, if anyone doesn't know, the police are called um, the guardy Uh or guards or police. But yeah, it's all the same thing. I always get corrected whenever I say the guard. They're always like, it's the guardy. Like, oh, don't. So, you know, Bailey was, his surname might give it away, but he was uh, English. I'm pretty sure he's, yeah, he's from Manchester. So he was a blow-in as well. Mm-hmm. So we've got two blow-ins now kind of involved in this. So he's a suspect now for the police just because of how shifty he's acting at the crime scene and everything. You know, they're, they're, they're all, he's on their radar. Two days after the crime, mm-hmm. Bailey was at the annual Christmas Day swim in Skull. So this is a tradition in the area where locals jump into freezing water on Christmas Day. Oh, that's stupid. I'm not going to get into that anymore because I just don't even care to understand because it's stupid. Do they still do that? I I don't know. I don't know. I think it's very silly. I wouldn't let my child jump in to freezing cold water. Catch their death. No, I don't. I just don't think it's a good idea. So anyway, that is a thing. There was a local resident, Florence Newman, who was recording the day's events on her Mm -hmm. camcorder, and she turned the camera onto Bailey. And Bailey reached out to shake her hand, and when he did so, she noticed multiple scratches all over his hands. Like she described them as like wiggles or squiggles. Like she thought they looked very suspicious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Bailey later explained this as being from wrangling a Christmas tree, you know, cutting one down to like bring it home or whatever. Uh, he kind of, yeah, guards kind of believe that. Um, but that was, I guess it's believable. That. Was there anybody to like corroborate that? Something about his daughter was there. No, sorry, okay. not his daughter. My apologies. His partner's daughter was there. And I think she did corroborate that or said it is plausible or like, yeah, he was getting a Christmas tree or maybe she was in the car. I'm not sure. But he also is recorded in the video as unpromptly saying, talk to my lawyer. Like this statement just came out of nowhere. Like he just like, I think he recited like a poem, like a little riddle or um, doesn't matter in the video you know acting all jovial but then at the end said something about to speak to my lawyer you know and like she this lady hadn't questioned him about anything yeah didn't ask she didn't ask yeah she didn't ask and he just said talk to me like you're going to speak to my lawyer like oh but at the time this lady with the camcorder she was just be trying to be nice and get him involved in the festivities like you know so he wasn't questioned at the point where she asked him like she, no, she asked she asked him nothing she says uh ian give us a give us a poem because he used to recite poetry he was a poet well he was a journalist but really to be honest he was a failed journalist and oh. he can he had a firm over in england it, it just went bust and he came to west cork because he kind of burned all his bridges over in england and he came over and he like announced himself as a poet Oh, a very bad po- a very bad poet like they're they're bad and like, i've heard some of them but they're just very self-indulgent and and just badly written 
And it's not always just something embarrassing about a full-grown man being like, oh, I'm a poet. You know, you don't self-profess yourself as a poet. You need to be published or you need to yeah. be, you know, recognized. But he just claims he's a poet, right? Anyone can be a poet. Yeah, other people have to say it before yeah. you claim yourself a poet. 100%. It's embarrassing. Yeah. So then on the 11th of January, a lady named Marie Farrell rang the police station from a public phone box. And she used the alias Fiona. And what she told the police was that she seen a man on on Kelfada Bridge, uh, Mm. which is two kilometers from the crime scene, at around 3, I think it was around 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. on the night of Sophie's murder. Mm. Police were unable to track the caller down. And on the 20th of January, they launched an appeal on Crimeline on the television, asking the caller to contact them. Mm-hmm. After this was aired, this then became the talk of the town. You know, who is this mystery caller? Mm-hmm. Um, all the ple- the pressure clearly got to Marie because less than 24 hours later, she phoned the police again from a different phone box. Mm-hmm. During this call, she confirmed the time of her sighting, but quickly hung up and wouldn't give out any personal details. So why do you think she was being so secretive? I don't know. Was she, was she there? Did she do it? <laughs> um that was good i never jumped to that but that's good well, she could have done it could have done it i know see that's the problem of putting yourself forward like then it's like oh do you have some involvement that that is an issue on the 24th of january marie calls a third time but this time she slips up and she calls from her home telephone oh marie Womp womp. I know. <laughs> what happened there? I know. I know. I know. She called so many times and she just thought she was getting away with it. She tripped up. Um, so police arrived at her house for a witness statement and she was really reluctant at first. Mm. The reason being is that she wanted to re- remain anonymous as she had been out driving with an ex lover that night. Mm. Something her current husband would not be pleased about. No shit, Sherlock. Yeah. So police, be- <laughs> I know. Police basically told her that they would keep her secret if she signed a statement saying that it was Ian Bailey she had seen that night. Oh. They told. Mm-hmm. They told her just say, and this is in quotes, just say it was him that you saw. We know it was him. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The police also described Bailey to her as weird and dangerous, claiming he would howl at the moon and sat in a rocking chair at Barley Cove with 10 lesbians dancing around him, reciting poetry. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Police officials. Now, I do believe this is Marie claiming that this is what the police said to her. Where she got that from. I don't know. Well, maybe the police fuck? said it, maybe they didn't. I know. <laughs> so there is um, a theme in this of lycanthropy, I believe it's called, which What's is though basically like werewolves. So because the crime was at night um, and Ian Bailey was a very tall, broad, beastly man. He was very odd. I mean, he would go about town. He had a staff, like a stick, that he would carry and bring into the town, stand in the middle of the square and recite his poetry with this big stick, you know? And it is almost 
wizard and witches and it's a little bit it's off-putting really it you know it, it would make you really question his sanity and he all yeah he also had issues with drink so he sort of he sort of hinted at the werewolf syndrome himself so he I'm pretty sure it was him that claimed that you know if he drank whiskey on the night of a full moon he couldn't really explain what happened to him like he would forget things or you know it's a load of nonsense but yeah but he's just like one of those like Irish storytellers at the pub like mm-hmm. he just likes to create like yeah. folklore around I himself know. oh he loved it yeah and like I think he did love that Irish storytelling like he was English mm-hmm. but I think he mm-hmm. did love the fact that yeah he could go into a pub and recite his poetry like that's actually is described at length in the podcast but uh he did not help himself um like he loved this place and he's just oh he just screws like don't shit where you eat you know like he, it, get, it, get, it, get, it gets worse so Oh, so subsequent interviews with Marie revealed another alleged sighting of Bailey. Marie actually owned a shop in Skull, that main town, where mm-hmm. Sophie visited on the 21st of December. That's not long before she got murdered on the 23rd. Um, during this visit... I think Marie did it. <laughs> no, Marie is everywhere. Like, she, she really is everywhere here. During this visit, Marie... So, so Marie is a shop owner. Sophie's in her shop. And while Sophie's in the shop, Marie looks outside. She sees a strange man peering into the shop, looking at Sophie from the opposite side of the road. She described him as wearing a long black coat and a black uh-huh. beret. And he was hanging around aimlessly. Ian Bailey did have a long black coat and he was tall. The black beret throws me a little bit. I'm not sure did he have a black beret. And then it's also French. So there's something there, you know. But Bailey wasn't French. But police did convince Marie that this was Bailey. Jumping now to February the 3rd. So just over a month after the murder. Bailey gave a lift home to a 14-year-old schoolboy. When in the car, the boy asked Bailey how he was doing. And Bailey replied, fine. Until I went up to her house and bashed her fucking brains in. Okay. Okay. So this was, of course, reported to the police, and Bailey dismissed it as sarcasm. But the police weren't having any of it, because a week later, on the 10th of February, Bailey was arrested for questioning in relation to the killing. He was, however, released without charge after 10 hours. His partner, Jules uh, Thomas, was also arrested, and she too was released without charge. Um, She was being charged either with the murder... Or it's just a conspirator to the murder. Although I don't think police really believed she had anything to do with it. Um, I think they just wanted to bring her in. You know, they wanted to see could they dig up some dirt on Bailey and use it against him. Mm-hmm. Um, the closest they got to any kind of dirt was Jules admitting that she did hear Bailey getting up out of bed. I think it was at 3am or 4am. I think it might have been 4am. On the night of the murder, like they, they only got this information at the very end of the interview. She finally said, okay, I did hear him get up in the middle of the night. Um, and then she didn't see him again until the next morning. Oh. So when confronted with this information, Bailey said he had just got up to write an article in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. He wasn't up to howl at the moon. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> 
yeah, he woke in the middle of the night and thought, I'm awake, I'll write an article. So Jules has come out to say that the police twisted her words in the interview. She's Mm. always stuck by by Bailey to many's bewilderment. Um, Bailey had been anything but the perfect partner to her. He'd Mm. also been very abusive to her, particularly after alcohol. In 1996, Mm. so the year of the murder, Bailey hospitalized Jules and not for the Mm. first time. A neighbour came around to the house to take her to the hospital and was shocked at what he witnessed. That Jules's hands were damaged with bite marks on them. Again, oh, werewolf theme, you know. <laughs> werewolf theme. Great clumps of her hair were missing from her head. Oh, jeez. Her, yeah, her eye was swollen and completely closed and her lip had been completely torn away from her mouth. What does that mean? Torn off? Like she didn't have a lip? She must have had to have it reattached. Yeah. Like that part really got me. I was like, oh my lord. Like that is violent. Oh dear. Uh-huh. And Bailey had supposedly done this to her with one hand while he was driving. Okay. He said they had a spat in the car and she went to hit him on his face. She went to like poke his eye or something and he whacked her with his hand and that's what did this damage. I don't, uh, right, okay. Yeah, he said it yeah. was over in like a matter of seconds. A second is not enough to tear clumps of hair and a lip and oh, I can't even, it really got to me that. But Bailey and his partner Jules's arrest didn't deter him. As a journalist, he pursued the story still and really didn't help his own case at all. So even as a key suspect for the crime, he continued to check up on witnesses, invite detectives for coffee, and revisit the murder scene with different people. What? He, yeah. Bizarre. He was so wrapped up in it, almost as if he were enjoying it. So during the subsequent months after the murder, police tried what they could tried to do what they could to get evidence on Bailey. So they sent an undercover CI, Martin Graham, to extract information from Bailey. Graham was a British soldier who had served in Northern Ireland during the Troubles and subsequently had a mental breakdown. Not surprised. I know. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah, who didn't? He had moved to West Cork to live an alternative lifestyle. Oh, is he hiding at the moon as well? (laughs) His hair... His hair, his facial hair and clothing choices were questionable. And this is conjecture on my part, but much about him sounds like he may have had schizophrenia. Like he was a very paranoid individual, you know, and you would be. It, he he was sort of escaping to West yeah. Cork. It was very isolated. A lot of people liked that anonymity down there. So police were said to have motivated Graham with promises of clothing and cannabis. They even mm-hmm. asked Graham to give Bailey the cannabis to loosen his lips um yeah they want yeah like the police got in big trouble about that they denied it of course but uh in a hilarious twist of fate bailey actually turned the ci back onto the police and got him to act as his own informant so yeah (laughs) it's really yeah so bizarrely, this would even happen again with key witness Marie Farrell. In 2005, Marie would give testimony in Bailey's favour, retracting her evidence, claiming she was put under pressure to make the claims by the police. Right. 
he then went on to obtain a law degree um, in which mm-hmm. his thesis was titled Policing the Police. Oh, Jesus Christ. So Bailey then basically goes on, as he calls it, a public campaign against Garda injustice. He stays in West Cork, even though everybody suspects him. He runs a stall at the local market every week selling baked goods and the book he wrote about the case. Twist like here is some bread and here's a book about a murder that I probably did. (laughs) It's like OJ. I know. He just like shoving it in your face, just not, no tact, you know. And poor Sophie's son by this point is a full grown man and he visits West Cork to pursue the case and he does this regularly and he even sees bailey once at the supermarket you know like it's a small place and he bumps it he like sees him and it's very uncomfortable for the family so meanwhile the french authorities have also been pretty fed up and they launched their own investigation so they have this thing called the party seville um, right. And this is basically when they combine a civil and a criminal criminal action, which oh, cool. enables yeah it enables the family of the victim to lead the investigation down lines of inquiry of their own choosing. Oh. They can also try the case in absentee, so when the accused isn't present. Mm-hmm. Um, France did ask for Bailey to be extradited in two thousand and twelve and two thousand and seventeen, but the Irish High Court refused. So the French ploughed on with an absentee trial and actually convicted Bailey of Sophie's murder in May 2019. So oh. this is, yeah, this is how long this has been going on for. So he just got convicted in France in 2019. But the ongoings of these past 20 years has been France. He's pretty much been in an open prison, as he calls it. You know, if he were to leave ireland at any point the french would yeah. be on him right like, really fast the conviction in from the french authorities a lot of people like different articles are saying you know because of their law like there's a lot coming into play all their different laws and one of the laws is th- that they uphold circumstantial evidence in a high way so the beatings right. of jules his partner is seen as i don't know the technical term like character stuff. Maybe something like that, but they really, they take that big time into account. And even Marie Farrell's statements, mm. uh, the shopkeeper, you know, man in a long black coat and seen him on the bridge, like they let all of that in, but they didn't let in her retraction. Oh. So. Did you watch the confession tapes on Netflix? There's a lot of coerce confessions and like mm-hmm. a lot of police are not trained properly in how to interview and how mm-hmm. to ask non-leading questions and they that's talk right. about how like a lot of the time the police like they have blinkers on they're like that's the guy and we have to make everything fit this guy that is the problem this is on 100% what happened in this case they didn't pursue different lines of inquiry like I have a list here of different people i go through it really quickly so the man yeah people did think he was pretty fish he didn't come and visit like when it happened he didn't yeah he didn't just like fly out to ireland like straight away i think it took a long time for him to actually 
I don't know when he actually came out, but he did not. What? Come. So the the man in the long black coat. There was a spotting of him three hours away in Galway in a travel agent's. He was acting shifty. He asked about West Cork. Um, and this was on Christmas Eve. So a day after the murder, a man mm-hmm. in a long black coat was like, I need a plane out of here. I think he might have asked to go to France. That doesn't, I doesn't <gasps> say this in my notes. I doesn't say this in my notes. But he basically wanted to get away from West Cork. Like on Christmas Eve. Like, what a time to, like, go and book a random flight. There was also a man from Versailles who moved to West Cork. So, well, Versailles is in France anyway. He moved to West Cork, met Sophie in a restaurant, and then killed himself a couple of months after her murder. Wait, what? He met met Sophie in a restaurant and then killed himself a few... What? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. After she died... He killed himself a couple of months after her murder. But none of these were investigated. What? Then you have, I know, well, maybe they were, but they didn't pursue them. Oh, when, there's so, there's so, like, I've left out so much, but just little tidbits. When the police came onto the crime scene, there were two wine glasses that were sitting out <gasps> on the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh my God, there's also a horse theory. That yeah. Oh, I can't believe I left this out. I can't believe I forgot so much. I'm not sure was it a horse or like an elk, but pretty similar to the owl theory. There's a neighbor that said, I know, I know. There's a neighbor that says um it was a wild animal that that chased her down and trampled on her. Um and while this may seem really ludicrous, apparently I don't have notes on this. This is just from memory, but I'm pretty sure a similar case happened in Sweden where like they were going to pin the murder on the husband until they found like elk hairs on the body. Oh, and it was like, yeah, the elk did it. So the there, elk is, did it. There, there is a theory that it was an animal. No DNA. No, apparently not. They took the gate away. There was like blood all over the gate. There was, I'm pretty sure there was... There was DNA under her fingernails, but I don't think, can't remember, was it enough? But that's the th- that is the problem with this case is it's all circumstantial stuff with Ian. I mean, like not yeah. even like fingerprints on the glasses, the wine glasses. Uh, I think she might have washed them, maybe, you see. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe a previous glass was from the previous night. Yeah. Like maybe it wasn't two people. I, d- I don't know. What about the wine bottle? Fridge, I don't, door, I don't know. table. See, on, I don't know where they're very ill-equipped. Mm. There's just people, there's a lot of people who've like spoke to him or been around him and they just, when you talk to him about it, it's just like you just know he did it. But then this is just all, <laughs> but it's just a country thing, you know, like there's all these, I've left so much out, but there's all these quotes about, you know, like I looked him in the eye and I talked I to him about him it. I looked him in the eye. That's my case, yeah. It's weird it's solved in France, but unsolved in Ireland. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Yeah. No, really it was really good. Really I'm glad bizarre. I finally know the story. Thanks, yeah. I know. The unsolved ones are very unsolved. Oh, yeah, unsettling. Just Yeah. 
Oh, okay. Enjoy your Cajun. Thanks. I'm going to have paella. Oh, mixing it up. Dan always says I'm not saying that right. It's paella. Oh, oh, Sometimes I feel like an idiot, though, if I put on an accent. Is that not a bit racist? I don't know. Paella? Paella? I don't know. Well, you don't say tortilla, do you? I suppose I don't. Tortilla. 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 Or like mommy says, jalapenos. Jalapenos. Jalapenos, that's it. Would you like some jalapenos with your pa- paella with your <laughs> tortillas? Would you? <laughs> I know, but you know, do you know what I mean? It's like when you have to put on the accent to say it, it just makes me feel a bit weird. Yeah, right. It's not my yeah. accent. I just feel like I'm pretending. Yeah, I remember Jaron like shouted at me one time because I asked for a quesadilla. He's like, it's a quesadilla. It's like, fuck. Oh, 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 oh. It's a strong L, right? Quesadilla. quesadilla. Yeah, it does. They don't look how they sound. Quesadilla. Uh, how do you say enchilada? Am I saying that right? Enchilada? I think I, that's how. Enchilada? Lo- enchilada? 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 Mm. Enchilada? I love enchiladas. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> Tortilla, tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> And cut. We'll chat you next time, guys. Lana Walia. Au revoir. Oh, I like. Bye. Me Time and Murder would like to thank and acknowledge our sources that make this podcast possible. References can be found on our Instagram page. <laughs>